We are now proud to go back to our Auburn Bank phone line and we welcome on Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network here to preview the Atlanta Braves season. Of course, you can catch all Braves games here in East Alabama in the Auburn Opelika area on AM 1230 WAUD. Kevin, the time is greatly appreciated. Baseball is back. How are you doing, my friend? Well, it's like uh, Christmas Eve for baseball fans. It's uh, it's opening day Eve, and man, I, I can't wait. Uh, my, my vacation is over. I've been waiting to say that for a while. So <laughs> time to get back to work, and uh, this should be a really exciting team to follow for the next six, seven months. Absolutely, Kevin. And this team, despite losing... Uh, a couple of great players in the last couple of years, obviously, with Freddie Freeman and then Dansby Swanson this past year, still ranked as one of the three, top three or four teams in Major League Baseball. So let's talk about uh, some of the cornerstones first uh, of this Braves team as they've continued to revamp and reload and just add on to an already successful run. And it starts at the corners with Matt Olson and Austin Riley. Uh, how much better can these guys be? Because they have been incredible uh, for Atlanta. Obviously, Olsen last year and Riley for a few years now. What more can they do other than and what they've done here these last few years? Well, it's funny because I thought the same thing last year about Austin, thinking, man, he's, he's a pretty darn good player. Can he get better? And he did last year. I think defensively you've seen him come a long way the last couple of years. So I still think there's more in the tank you know, to unpack as far as Austin Riley's concerned. And that's pretty exciting for a guy who I feel like a couple of years ago probably should have been right there in the thick of an MVP conversation. Uh, I made the old bold prediction here today locally in Atlanta that I think Matt Olson might be in the mix for an MVP this year. Um, you know, there's a, a lot has changed since last year. You know, remember there was the trade during spring training. He had to pick up and move to a team on a different coast. He had to go to a team that wasn't expected to contend and compete to one that was trying to defend a World Series title, and he still ends up the year with you know 30-plus home runs. So I think that there was a lot weighing on him early on. Uh, pressure, you know, filling the shoes of Freddie Freeman, the big contract, uh, you know, a lot more ticket requests here in Atlanta than he was probably used to getting uh, out in the Bay Area. So I think both those guys could be primed for really, really big seasons. And, you know, top to bottom, when you start looking at this Braves lineup, uh, it, it, it's got to be one of the deepest in all of sports, uh, or in all of Major League Baseball, I should say. Um, you've got guys top to bottom that can put the ball out of the ballpark. So um, I think that this is not going to be an easy lineup to navigate for opposing pitchers here this season. Oh, excuse me. And uh, talking about, uh, let's keep it in the infield here and, and looking at shortstop, obviously replacing um, Dansby Swanson as of right now is uh, Orlando Arcia. And um, we kind of seemed like Vaughn Grissom, he was coming along towards the end of the season. You thought he might end up getting the start and, and being the shortstop for the Braves. He ends up being down in AAA. Uh, talk about that decision and why you think the Braves kind of went with that. Well, I think it's a defense-first position when you start talking about this team. I mean, you go through the lineup, there's enough guys that can hit 30 to 40 you know, home runs in this team. You don't necessarily need that kind of offensive production from your shortstop. Now, it was great to have from Danzi the last few years, and he certainly put together a couple of really remarkable offensive seasons. But at the same time, you need guys that can catch the ball, that can make plays defensively, that have range. And they just didn't see enough from either uh, you know Braden Shoemake or from Vaughn Grissom in spring training that they felt comfortable turning over the keys to shortstop to either of those guys. So RC is a veteran. He's been around. You know, he's only 28, but you feel like he he's in his mid 30s. He came up so young. Right. So, uh, you know, he, he's a good defender. Um, offensively, if he hits 230 and he hits 
10 bombs, I can live with that, with a, with how deep this lineup is around him. So uh, they're not going to ask a whole lot offensively. Uh, meanwhile, you get Grissom and Shoemake that go to AAA, try to get better, try to get you know better defensively first and foremost. And we're going to see one, if not both, of those guys throughout the course of the year. But I don't think it'll be a short leash. I think they're going to give Garcia plenty of time, unless he just completely falls on his face. And I don't expect that whatsoever. So uh, it's an opportunity for more seasoning. Remember, Grissom just turned 22. He's just a kid. Not a lot on the back of the baseball card in minor league ball. And then for Shoemake, a guy who probably never expected to even be in that conversation when he reported to Northport, and there he was a couple of weeks ago. So um, it's just more seasoning time in the minors. And let's be honest, there's a lot of guys that have really benefited from that extra time. And I think both Shoemake and Grissom will be better for it long term. Kevin, when you look in the outfield last year for the Braves, they patched it together pretty well, but a couple guys they were relying on very heavily, the likes of Eddie Rosario, Marcel Azuna, uh, even earlier in the year, someone like uh, Adam Duvall, uh, really didn't come to fruition for them, and they ended up having several uh, very fortunate breaks in that Michael Harris was ready to play in the outfield. And while Acuna didn't have the power stroke, Acuna was able to be relatively healthy throughout last year. So as we flip the page this year, uh, Rosario obviously had the eye surgery last year, but uh, even adding a, a depth piece like Kevin Pillar, how do you see the outfield shaking out and the confidence level that some of those guys get back to the form we've seen them in, in the past? Yeah, I, I'm really confident. And look, I, I have told people time and time again, it's, it's funny, I was just uh, hanging out with some neighbors this past weekend, and we were having a couple cocktails, and they said, well, man, look at some of these spring training numbers. I said, I, yes, it's great to see. I'd love to see guys hitting 350 as opposed to 150. However, uh, my eyes have deceived me a number of times when I've been down at spring training, and I've seen a guy hit like Ted Williams for three weeks, four weeks, and then he comes up to the big leagues and it never translates. I will say this, though. I'm really encouraged by the at-bats I've seen from Eddie Rosario the last few days. Uh, he really finished spring training on a high note, uh, really putting a charge into a couple of baseballs. Uh, and he had a good World Baseball Classic. So that is encouraging. I think that he's put the eye issues of the past behind him. Uh, and I think he knows what he needs to do uh, you know, to go out there and, and have a bounce back. Now, I'm not expecting 2021 postseason cult hero Eddie Rosario out there, but I'm expecting a much better version of him. Look, this is a guy that was, you know, 30 bombs a few years ago in Minnesota. Uh, again, if he gets anywhere close to that level, what a lift that would be for you on, on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. And then Marcelo Zuna, uh, to me, he could be one of the big X factors for this entire team this year. Uh, how much playing time will he get? Will he even ever put a glove on his left hand? I don't think so. Uh, I think he'll primarily serve as your DH when he's in the lineup. But look, he did enough to, to earn a spot on the roster uh, this spring training. So uh, at the end of the day, I think both those guys really, I was talking to Buck Ballou here in Atlanta today, and I said, I think those guys could be 1A and 1B for maybe two of the most important pieces on this team all year. So I feel a whole lot better now. And, and you mentioned Pilar, you've got Sam Hilliard, and you've got couple other guys in Eli White who's down at AAA as a, as a depth piece as well. Um, you, you feel pretty good about that position a whole lot better than I did to finish out last year. So before we turn our attention to pitching with how this lineup will build out, 
Uh, what, do you expect Brian Snitker to try and put Michael Harris down in the lineup and act as that second leadoff hitter at the end? Will he bring him up because of the the contact and speed element? Just just some. What are some of the things you're keeping an eye on with how Snitker builds the lineup one through nine? Whatever lineup you see tomorrow probably won't be the same lineup you see in two weeks or in two months. Uh, you know, early on, Snit likes to tweak it. I've seen him do that. Heck, I feel like we had a game or a stretch of games a couple of years ago coming out of the uh, the start of the season where it was literally a different lineup every single night just trying to find the right combination. Now, I think what you saw yesterday uh, in the final spring training game might be as close uh, to what you will see uh, come tomorrow, obviously with Ronald leading off. And then uh, you had Matt Olson hitting two a lot this spring. I could envision a scenario where they put him in the two spot coming up tomorrow and then, you know, see how it shakes out. And then Riley third, Ozuna was hitting cleanup. And then Harris five, Ozzy six. Uh, again, you got a guy in Ozzy Albies that could be somewhere between 20 and 25 home runs hitting fifth for a six for you. Uh, and then you go on down the list. You've got Darno slash Murphy. You've got uh, Rosario. Uh, and then Arcia is going to hit the bottom of the lineup for you. So I think yesterday, while it might not be the lineup that sticks long term, that could be pretty close to what you see when it comes out on Twitter tomorrow morning. And now moving on to pitching, uh, obviously the Braves do have their four uh, four starters ready. Um, and and Snicker delivered the good news to Schuster and Dodd that they're each going to get an opportunity to start. Talk about those two guys and, and what they bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, relative unknown, right? I mean, it's but, but I'll say this. Uh, the Braves saw enough of both of those guys and they saw more from them than they saw of Ian Anderson and Bryce Elder in spring training. And I would throw Michael Soroka in there as well. But, you know, Soroka was slow. Uh, he wasn't, uh, uh, you know, starting off and, and ready to go right out of the gate. So, uh, obviously, the Braves saw enough out of these two young men to give them a chance. Now, they're probably going to get more than one time through the rotation because as in years past where you have a number of off days early on in the year, you don't have that this season. They only have three off days in the first month of the season. So that makes pitching a whole lot more of a priority uh, than it ever would be in the month of April. So uh, both these guys, I think they showed uh, you know a good command of the zone, repeatable mechanics, repeatable delivery. Uh, you know, Again, the thing you like is you're not seeing a whole lot of walks. That was what plagued Ian Anderson. He got a couple appearances. He struck out eight, but he walked eight. That ratio is not going to fly at any level. So uh, deep down, I think the Braves really kind of want to see what they have in these guys. Uh, and I think that these guys are both up for the challenge. So, you know, the good news is you're taking on the Nationals to start out the season, uh, a team that's starting the guy who's lost the most games in, in the National League the last two years, in Patrick Corbin. So really on paper, this is a, a mismatch to start the season. And then you go to St. Louis, a team that I know a lot of question marks uh, around this Cardinals bunch this year. Yeah, they've got Arenado and Goldschmidt, and, uh, but I, I don't, I'm, the, the one that worries me is their pitching. So uh, I think it's a favorable start to the year. Uh, and, and so I'm excited to see both these guys. I haven't really seen them in person a whole lot other than, you know, reading the reports and seeing some videos here and there. But uh, their stuff looks good. And like I said, the, the Braves are they're not hesitant to give 24-year-olds or heck, 20- and 21-year-olds opportunities in the big league level, and they continue to do that. So uh, that, to me, is a testament to the hard work that uh, guys are putting in in A-ball and rookie ball and, and double and triple-A to get these guys ready for this opportunity, and we'll get a chance to see that coming up right out of the gate. Talking to Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. A couple big-picture big questions 
for you, Kevin, before we get you out of here. Uh, let's look at the National League as a whole. Obviously, the NL East will be uh, a good race with the Mets and the Phillies, but National League-wide, who are the other contenders uh, with the Braves, Phillies, and, and Mets that, that you see as potential postseason matchups or, or just teams that Atlanta fans uh, should keep an eye on throughout the year? Padres, to me, I think this is the Padres' year uh, to do something special in the West. I know the Dodgers have been the focal point year in and year out, but I've got some serious questions about the Dodgers coming in. I think they're a good team. I don't know that they're a great team here in 2023. Padres, on the other hand, are a team that has spent a ton of money and have made a ton of deals the last couple of years to bring in uh, some serious high-priced talent. So uh, I'm not just saying that because my cousin uh, is their head video guy, but I do think that the San Diego Padres are going to be a pretty good ball club this year. How do the Mets get by without Edwin Diaz? Big question mark there. Uh, again, we know that they've got the top two with, with Scherzer, uh, you know, anchoring that rotation along with Verlander. Uh, but those guys are not spring chickens. Now, again, they continue to be really effective uh, as they are now the elder statesmen really around Major League Baseball. You go to the Phillies, they lose Bryce Harper for who knows how long. Uh, Reese Hoskins is out for the year. That's a big blow for them. Uh, on, on both sides of the ball. So teams in the division, I've got some question marks around with the Mets and Phillies. They're going to be good teams. Don't get me wrong. This is going to be a three-team race. And I don't count out the Marlins either. They're not going to contend to win the division, but they are a much improved ball club from where they've been the last few years. So uh, they're going to be a thorn in the side. They're not an easy out like they were, say, three, four, five years ago. But uh, to me, I think the Braves and Padres, probably you know two of the top teams uh, here in the National League. And I got the Braves winning 94 games this year. Uh, I think that'll be enough to win a division. I think it'll be enough to set them up really nicely for the, you know, going into the postseason. And then from there, who knows? Who knows what happens? But I, I do think that less games against the Phillies and the Mets aren't a bad thing. Uh, so I've got them winning 94 and winning their sixth consecutive division title. And then, Kevin, got to get your opinion on these two big rule changes in Major League Baseball. And, and no, I'm not talking about the, the one to two inches that the bases will be bigger than. I'm talking, <laughs> of course, about the, the lack of a shift being allowed. And then, of course, the pitch clock. I mean, these are things that can kind of fundamentally change strategy as far as the shifts and then just fundamentally play how quick the game goes with the pitch clock. Where do you stand on those two things? Well, as somebody that has to work late-night West Coast games and do a post-game show, uh, I do not hate the pitch clock. I was not crazy about it. Full disclosure, when all the new rules were announced, I thought this was a stupid idea. Uh, how much can it really affect the game? Well, if you go ahead and look at game times in spring training, uh, they're down 25 minutes from where they were last spring. So I don't hate the pitch clock. Now, 15 seconds and 20 seconds, could I see that you know down the road being tweaked to maybe 20 and 25? Or maybe it's something that they adapt as they go through where ninth inning, you can slow it down a little bit, game on the line, you got to make a big pitch. Uh, but yeah, I don't hate the pitch clock. And keep in mind, it's not, it's not cutting down on baseball. Actually, it's the complete opposite. It's counting, it's taking away non-baseball things that happen in the game. It's, it's taking away a guy stepping off and fixing his gloves and walking around the mound and sulking about a bad call. I'm all for it. I've got an eight-year-old son. He loves watching baseball, but he can't watch a three-hour game. You know, if, if it's a two-and-a-half-hour game, it's a little bit different situation. So I, I, I'm okay with the pitch clock, and I think that it's going to ultimately be a good thing 
for growing and expanding the game for the next generation that, let's be honest, doesn't have the attention span to watch a three-and-a-half-hour ball game. Uh, as far as the, the other new rules, you know, yeah, the bases are bigger. And I'll tell you, I had a chance to play on them when I was down at Braves Fantasy Camp. They are significantly bigger. I'll tell you that. Um, you'll, you'll notice it. You're going to see teams start to run right out of the gate. Um, you know, as far as some of the other things they're doing, uh, I, I still don't like the runner on second thing, but uh, I've been overruled on that one, and that one's here to stay, unfortunately. But I do think that for the majority of what they're trying to do, limiting the throwovers and things of that nature, I do think deep down this will end up being good for growing the game moving forward. He's Kevin McAlpin of the Braves Radio Network joining us, joining us on this Wednesday edition of Sports Call. Kevin, the time is greatly appreciated. Tell us what's ahead here with the Braves Radio Network as far as broadcast times and, and who's on the call. Yeah, we'll be on tomorrow, uh, 11.50 Eastern, so 10.50 your time. Uh, Domino and I, once again, together, uh, reunited for the uh, Ford Leadoff Show. And we'll do that, uh, I would say all 162, but probably closer to like 150, uh, a couple of days off for each of us here and there along the way. Uh, and then, of course, we have the game, Ben Ingram, Joe Simpson, Jay, Jay Chad, the hardest working executive producer in sports. He got off the charter last night and went right to Nationals Park to set up the gear for the broadcast tomorrow. So he'll be back again. You'll also get Jim Powell on selected games. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have the Hyundai Post Game Show for you as well. So start to finish, you don't need to turn anywhere else than uh, the Braves Radio Network. And uh, like I said, this is my 12th season with the Braves, uh, and it's my 20th opening day in Major League Baseball. So uh, believe me when I tell you, these things never get old, and I can't wait to get it going tomorrow. Yeah, we absolutely love it. We're looking forward to it. Kevin, the, the time is greatly appreciated. We look forward to catching up with you again later this summer, and let's have a great season. Sounds good, fellas. Appreciate it.